Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf, and we are joined by Stacy Patton, perhaps the single most versatile writer at the Strickland. Alex, I, I, I've tried it before. It's not easy. It, it, it's almost impossible to be well versed in both the draft and, and and the current infrastructure of a team and the NBA. Stacy and our guy Prez both do it exceptionally well. But Stacy's on Alex for a long term li- look at the Knicks. And in this one, we start off with Julius Randle. Yeah, and also Luca Vildoza. Talk about Luca and you know how his signing could potentially affect the Knicks' decisions in the draft and in free agency this coming year. What sort of role we could potentially see Vildoza playing? Easy guy to forget that the Knicks have on the roster since he was signed too late to make it for the playoffs, but is signed for multiple years after this. Then talk about Julius Randle. Talk about how much he's worth. Talk about if a... million contract starting salary is too much or not enough or just right. And we talk about, you know, that the difference of a, a max extension versus a max free agent contract, which are two very different things, depending on if Julius decides to sign it this summer or next summer. So there's a lot of great stuff to get into that's forward looking in this episode, get into a little Mitch discussion as well. And just some general roster philosophy things towards the end. Very intriguing episode. Hope you all enjoy it. I won't hold this up any longer. It's coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on, Knicks. I'm Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster. While you're listening to it, I'll probably be off somewhere in the mid- middle of Long Island, broadcasting high school across, living the dream. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest goddamn Knicks website out there. And today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. And without further ado, because we have a lot to talk about, let's get into it with the great Stacey Patton. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I want to double back. I, I agree with, I think, all the, the points you made there as far as how I would go after roster construction. Um, I want to go back to what you just said a minute ago, though, where you said, oh, I'd be, I'd be cool to talk about this. Luca Vildoza, I think, is someone that, I, I at least have found myself sort of forgetting about a little bit. Um, obviously, the uh, 6'3 guard, the Knicks signed, 25, going to be 26 years old by next year, but already a very established player overseas. A player who, I mean, if I had to guess, uh, when he was eligible for the draft, probably just was not a great you know, U.S. prospect yet, and that's why he went undrafted and, and ultimately was able to just come over as a free agent signing now. Um, and now at this point in his career, I mean, I don't think he's going to set the world on fire or anything. I mean, maybe he will, who knows, but uh, I, I think that it's reasonable to say that he's probably just a, a good utility guard. Who's going to be able to come in, move the ball well enough, can create some off the dribble uh, has definitely like a step back in his repertoire, shoots a good percentage on a pretty good volume of threes. Like, in uh, so I guess it's they have like two different seasons uh, in the in the Euro League. So played in the the ACB season and then the the Euro League season. Um, but between the two of those, basically very similar. Thirty five point five percent on four and a half attempts from three uh, in the first part of the season, and then thirty seven point six percent on four point eight attempts in the second part of the season. And then averaging around four assists per game as well. I mean, I, I think Luca's definitely got some uh, some NBA player in him. You know, like a, a very useful player. I don't think this is going to be a situation where he's going to warm the end of the bench and, you know, maybe get in during blowouts. And that's going to be that. I think the Knicks, by committing the amount of money that they did to him too, which, granted, it's a pretty favorable contract structure, uh, being able to... I'm pretty sure they put an opt-out in every single year. 
uh, going forward on the contract, but committing like, I don't know, three, three point something million, I think to him every year for uh, potentially up to four years. I don't think they're really messing around as far as, uh, as far as commitment to this guy as potentially, you know, I don't even, I would struggle to even call him part of the young core. You know what I mean? I, I saw some people initially, and I think maybe some people during one of our locker room chats said this, like that they're looking at him as a, as almost like getting another draft pick this year. I don't so much look at him like that. I think that he's pretty well established. Like, I don't think that there's, we're going to have to wait around for Luca Vildoza to fit, find his place and, you know, figure out how to be a player in the NBA because he's already been playing professionally for like five, six years at this point. Uh, and probably was in the, in the, you know, like minors system, you know, because overseas they have a, a much more robust, system for you know having players come up as teenagers and everything else and kind of getting that taste of pro basketball beforehand um so what, what do you think about Luca you know as far as an addition next year do you think that he sort of solves some of those problems and maybe takes a little bit of heat off of the Knicks as far as having to target a guard with one of their draft picks and then maybe just kind of allows them to be like all right let's just go best player available or Maybe we can target a wing and a big with 19 and 21, you know, and kind of just leave the guard situation to the fact that we're going to get rid of, you know, we'll get rid of Alfred Payton, bring in Vildoza, and then probably still sign someone too. And we should be okay as long as we re-sign Derrick Rose, keep Emmanuel quickly, obviously, uh, all that good stuff. Like what's kind of your general feel on Vildoza and, and the role that he could potentially play next year and all that? Yeah, I mean, I think he's an exciting player to add. What I so on the one hand, I am of the belief that um, pull-up shooting is the premium skill in the NBA, and you can never have enough. On the other hand, uh, we have Burks, we have Quickly, and we have Vildoza now, who all offer great pull-up shooting. Uh, I, I will say, Luca Vildoza is a better passer than the other two. Um, substantially. He, he can pass like a point guard, but he is not great at finishing or attacking the rim, right? Which remains kind of a sore spot. Rose is someone who does that, but doesn't get to the line a lot, um, partly because, very understandably, um, you know, he is he does not want to risk a re-injury, and we will take that um, because of what he gives us, but the reality is um, at the draft, someone like Sharif Cooper gives you that, right? Um, he's, in fact, the only person really in that. Springer does too, but he's not really a point. So I think the thing with Luka is, um, you know, in a series in, in a, is for a team that what we don't have is that jitterbug guard who can just knife through the paint and get to the rim, right? We're playing one this year. Fuck Trey Young. Um, we are, you know, we've seen that with Ja. We've seen like those kind of players. It seems like that would help Julius Randle and RJ Barrett, who can get to the rim, but are more deliberate and methodical. Um, so that would be the only thing I think Luca doesn't give you, but he is a high level pull up shooter who plays team defense, who's a very good passer, who's excellent on the pick and roll. Um, yeah, like I think that that is um, that is enough to say I don't need to overpay someone, and I think that. But I think that actually affects like a lot of people on the Strickland. I don't know if you were paying attention to Slack today, Alex. A lot of people on the Strickland Slack are you know talking about Malik Monk, and I loved Malik Monk out of the draft. I wanted him over. Sorry, listeners, but I definitely wanted him over Frank. I also wanted him over. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. And I don't have a great track record. When everyone was upset that we took KP over Justice Winslow, I actually wanted Hazonia. So I haven't always been right about this, but I love Monk, but it is another pull-up shooter, right? Um, and I mean, Schwinnie made the case that he's also like a movement shooter. He gives you that Reddick-type game as well as being able to attack the, the rim, maybe. Um, but I think that Vildoza being on the roster makes me less want... like. I'm less likely to want a combo guard scorer for shot creation um, because of Vildoza. That's how that affects me, uh, if that makes any sense. But like, I would still want a like if we got find like a, a point guard who can pass and penetrate and put pressure on the rim. 
and like shoot well enough, like not Alfred pressure on the rim, right? Like real pressure on the rim and pass that would, I would still want that even though we have Bulldoza. All right, we're going to take our first break and it is time to award our Michelob ultra player of the week. And this week's Michelob ultra player of the week is Derek Rose. I, you know, with how things have gone for the Knicks in these playoffs, I don't know how it could be any player other than D Rose at this point. He's averaging an absolutely obscene 22.8 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, and 5 assists in 37 minutes per game for the Knicks these playoffs. And his shooting shooting splits are, get ready for this, 50.7% from the field, 50% from three, and 100% from the free throw line. You can't do much better than 50-50-100 shooting splits and it seems pretty obvious to me that Derek Rose is playing with joy happiness and enjoyment right now you could see it in his face when he makes a good play when he tosses a lob to Obi Toppin when he's you know driving to the cup and hits one of those floaters you know he's happy to be back in the playoffs he specifically said that he wanted to join a playoff team when he got traded from Detroit he got traded to the Knicks, and he helped guide them to this point, along with, obviously, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and the rest of the team. But it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Derrick Rose is definitely enjoying it. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, you know, you, you can't find a better beer to give you, you know, a little a little enjoyment during the game, give you some joy, help, help accelerate the joy of watching Derrick Rose play. And joy creates success. And, you know, it's pretty obvious that Derrick Rose is, is really enjoying his stint back in the playoffs with the New York Knicks. And, it, you know, as far as Derrick's concerned, I think enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. You have to really enjoy what you're doing. And he definitely enjoys playing basketball. And he definitely enjoys playing competitive basketball again. And uh, that's that's really all that matters here. So Derrick Rose, cheers to you, man. You are our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Today on the Road to the Finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in total agreement. And I mean, if the Knicks miss out on the Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul class, I kind of get the feeling it, it's going to maybe be another year. Um, I, I'm I know- sorry, Gavin. I don't mean to interrupt. What do you think about Conley in that? whole convo because i think he's kind of on the radar and people I, think he's not going to join because Utah's good but you know would he be in that list for you i honestly forgot he was available um i think i i would i would love to have conley he, he strikes me as someone whose game will age fairly well just because of how good of a shooter he is and how crafty he is there there's a little bit of a question for me that maybe he lacks some of like the physicality of those other two guys and not not that chris paul and, and Kyle Lowry are like master athletes at this point in their career, but they're both, I mean, Lowry in particular, they're both just so strong and like the way like Chris can sit, create separation in the mid range and the way like Lowry just like uses his butt around the rim to create all those weird shots. I, I kind of wonder with Conley, if he lost like just a little bit of his quickness or speed, if he would fall off a little bit. And I think, I think Utah's a really great spot for him because they have, I mean, they're, they're sort of the, the epitome of what I was talking about, of just playing like five high-level offensive options, um, at, le- at least in their starting lineup. And, and certainly when Joe Ingles is in there at all times, that you, you can't really pay too much attention to any one guy. But I, I, w- I would love Conley, and I, th- I would think that he would represent a definite upgrade. I, I just, I don't know if he's quite the archetype of guy you're describing, but I, I think just because of how good he is in other capacities, he could sort of compensate for that. But again, I, I was going to say, like, that's sort of, I, I feel like the whole argument for going out and finding a way to go get Sharif Cooper, who obviously has his faults, and I don't think is someone who would necessarily save or, or really make a significant difference in the Knicks win total next season, but down the road could be that point guard for you. And, and you at least know, like, future superstar pending, you have that type of player on the roster. Um, Stacey, I was going to end on this point, uh, or at least at least on my end, final question. Uh, where does this series leave you on Julius Randle? Because I, I know you were mentioning there was some Twitter discourse. Um, I, I was listening to uh, the Bill Simmons podcast, and him and Ryan Russillo were, were talking about it, though they didn't seem to like, I, I think I think their arguments were kind of inane in that they were they were ba- or at least Bill was like basically arguing like you don't even like resign Randall 
to his current um, max slot, which is obviously... He wouldn't pick up... Oh, he didn't say he wouldn't pick up the team option. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was that he wouldn't give him, like, the max that he's currently available for, which I actually, I, I would, I kind of think is, is ridiculous. I would use this series as leverage to encourage Randall to take that max, and I would walk away really happy with it. To me, this, I, and, and this is entirely contingent on what your opinion of Randall was going into the series, but... For me, I think this series reflects more on his supporting cast than it does on Julius Randle. And granted, there was there's definitely some stuff going on in his head. And I, I think the statistics you pointed out on his, his shooting on wide open shots and open shots really, really highlights this, that he, he just wasn't ready for the stage. And it, it was a little bit too much pressure. That really doesn't scare me off, given just how many guys in NBA history have faltered in their first postseason. It really is the majority of, of the great players in league history, like like someone like Luka Doncic coming in and his game immediately translating or being better in the playoffs, that's an extraordinarily rare thing to happen. It's usually a little bit too much for someone to come in and really succeed in their postseason. And and that's applicable to players who are, are worlds ta- more talented than Julius Randle is. Um, so th- this series where he's getting brunt of the attention and the Hawks have weaponized the lack of danger or, or threat or gravity that his other teammates possess or, or present, uh, depending on, on which one of those you're using. Um, I, I, it doesn't really change my opinion of who Randall is or what he is long-term, or, or especially what I think he could be in a playoff series down the road as the second, or if you get really lucky, the third option on your team. I would be really, really excited to see Randall. Like, I mean, even I, I know maybe maybe this is the wrong name to throw out given what's currently happening. But you, you throw someone like Trey Young on this team, I, I would love to see what Julius Randall would do with that kind of spacing and getting um, bullet passes fed right into his shooting pocket time and time again during a game. He had such a burden this year, and he did such a good job with it. To me, it's a no-brainer to only give him, I, I believe, unless I'm misremembering, the 25% max, I, I would do that in a second and, and feel really, really good about it. But I, I'm curious your take on it, Stacey. Has this series lowered your opinion of Randall, where, you, where you're sort of like, no, I'd rather he just take the really cheap option next year. You maintain even more cap flexibility going to the next summer. You give him a prove-it season, and then you can assess from there. Um, or, or do you even think Julius is is saying, nah, I had a great regular season. I, I'm going to wait a year. I'm going to prove it again. I'm going to be even better in the playoffs, and then I'm going to get even more money the next season. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things I would say there. Um, number one, um, you know, you, you mentioned that he's shooting poorly, and that could be nerves, or that could be – it could also just be luck. Random. Sorry, luck is a bad word. So I'll say randomness, right? Sometimes, like, he's rimmed out a lot of those attempts. Maybe people don't want to hear that because we need a reason for things. But sometimes, you know, Clyde said sometimes you dribble the ball and sometimes the ball dribbles you. And I think that's a very apt description of the series as a whole. I, I hated hearing that in the moment, by the way. When he said that, it was because Reggie Bullock tried to go iso on Trey, and I just knew what was going to happen, and I hated it. And I was like, no, he can't dribble that well. But um, I don't think this is a case, to extend that metaphor, of Randall not being able to dribble well, right? I think it's a case. I think it's some of it is just the shot. He's rimming out shots. He's 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 short on a lot of threes. That might be fatigue, but I'm not searching for a reason for why he's missing. That happens, right? That's what Seth Bartnow had been saying about our opponents. Um, so I'm not too worried about. I think that you look at in what I was talking about with like you know Bob Myers' speech at, at Sloan before in terms of playoff players. The, the, the core concept is versatility, right? You can't have anything that if they play you for one thing, you have counters. He does have counters. Counters aren't working this series. I don't think that's a systemic issue. What I've learned about Randall is that if you ask him to be LeBron James, which, look, we have asked him to be that this season, this season and especially this playoff series. We've asked him to make advanced reads against a defense that knows his first, second, third reads. Even despite the talent difference, that's that's something he's not quite capable of, and some people are saying, "Well, he can develop that, and maybe he can." He's still only he's only twenty six years old, right? Um, and he's shown such improvement. I wouldn't write that off, but I think that is something where you see that from guys very early in their career. The guys we talk about like that, Luca, um, LeBron, those wing playmakers are of that ilk. And like, oh, if you look at you know teams that run their offense through a big wing who like posts up a lot. 
You have guys like Luca and LeBron who are preternatural passers. You have players that are seven feet tall like Jokic or Embiid. And in Jokic's case, he's also a preternatural passer. And then you have guys like Kawhi, who even we saw last year, right? Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George is hitting the side of his back, the side of the backboard on Game Seven, right? Does that mean he's not a max player? No. And you might say, well, Paul George is a longer track record. But the point is, without a point guard or without, if you don't want to get hung up on the point guard thing, without another initiator, those scoring wings who quote unquote, who can pass. I think Randall is more a guy who can pass than a guy who is a true um, playoff playmaker in that sense. And you need to you need to have they're a great. I wouldn't even say a number. He can be a number one if you have a really good facilitator to, next to him. But he, it's that archetype. Even and, and Kawhi Leonard is is a more talented player than Julius Randle. That's his like ceiling. But a Kawhi Leonard type offensive option who's great in mid range, who can shoot the three. Um, and I would say you know I'll add to that on the Kawhi Leonard note. I've been very encouraged with Randall's defense this series. He switched on to Trey Young a lot. He got blown by once last game, but he hasn't been scored on by Trey. And he's guarded him you know, 20 possessions, I think, by now. So that bodes very well to me. And he's making $22 million this year. Um, would I pay him $4 million more? Absolutely. And that's not going to be an untradeable. Even if he, let's say we give him that and he sucks for half the season next year, it's not like people won't trade for him. Um, so I think that's, I'm very much on board with sign him. And because the thing is, if you don't extend him now, let's say he has a great, let's say he does the exact same thing next year. And then he flames out of the playoffs. Then the next, next year on a decision where we can, you know, we either have to extend him, we have to pay him 40 million a year, or we let him walk for nothing. Or mid-season, you're looking to try to trade. And if they know you want to trade him, his value goes down. I think you're in a much better boat of extending him, putting him in place, showing what he can do. And then I think NBA players are smart. They know that, you know, if, if <laughs> I'm going to bring back the one thing I've been harping on for a while, I think this is the first podcast where I went play, um, you know, public with it. But if you are Steph Curry, would you rather play with an aging dream on green Clay Thompson, who's unlikely to be 100% an aging. Or would you come here and play with Randall and know his limitations, but be like, but yeah, put me next to him. And he's going to be killed. He's, he's going to kill it. Right. And with me, you know, like he's not kicking out to Reggie Bullock anymore with limited ability to get open the same way, limited ability to make a play after the closeout. He's playing next to me. Right. That's going to help me a lot. He's not Draymond Green as a passer, but he's also not Draymond Green as a shooter by a far stretch. Um, I, I'm very confident in who Randall will be going forward. Um, and yeah, I would 100% give him the extension. It gives us so much more flexibility. And I think people who are not on board with that, that's really more of an emotional response. You see this guy having an awful series when he's the guy. And it's New York, so you're like, well, he doesn't have, he doesn't have quote-unquote it. Which is like, no, tweak his role a little bit, give him a little bit of help, and he'll be okay. And and to that extent, maybe maybe with Reggie, it's also randomness in terms of missing shots. But um, is it more than the answer to your question? Is it more Randall or is it more the the supporting cast? I think it's a little bit of both. I think he misses reads that he should be making, or you would like him to make. But if he was making those reads, he'd be LeBron, right? Um, He's not LeBron. I think that's what I found out in this series. Um, he's not close to it. But in terms of being a, a power wing scorer who can switch on defense, and and, and he can shoot. <coughs> um, the only thing that would change my mind next year is if he, like, regresses to, like, 33% from three, you know? Or um, that's really the only thing I can see happening that would really shake my belief in him being worth $25 million a year. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with Julius Randle. All right, we're going to take our second break. But just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. I'm sure you've heard about Built Bars already. You listen to this show. But in case you haven't, Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, and it is the best-tasting protein bar of all time. Let me tell you all those nine flavors real quick. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. 
You know, I usually highlight coconut almond, which is my favorite because it tastes just like an almond joy. But let me give a quick shout out to peanut butter brownie. It tastes exactly like what it says. It tastes like a peanut butter brownie. And Built Bars are so chewy, so delicious that you get that like chewy brownie consistency with it. And they're all coated in 100% natural chocolate, which just gives you that candy bar experience without the candy bar guilt. That's because most Built Bars have 17 grams of protein. That's a lot of protein for those of you that are not familiar. And only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. There's not a lot of calories and sugar for those of you keeping track at home. And with all those nine amazing flavors, you really can't go wrong. If you get a Built Bar, you're going to get the best tasting protein bar on the market that gives you that candy bar experience without giving you any of the guilt of eating a candy bar because you're just packing your body full of valuable protein without a bunch of fillers after your workout. So if you want to pick up some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, guys, and then we got to talk about one of our favorites, Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action over at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I think you know, especially because this this contract that we're talking about too is the the max extension. I think people people conflate the different types of maxes available to players all the time and you know it's it's understandable because people you know it's unless you pay attention to this sort of stuff and you're like a cap nerd like it's hard to keep up with what's what as far as a max extension a max contract a super max you know the uh, the derrick rose rule max the you know 10-year veteran there's like a million different contracts out there that players can sign that would all effectively be quote unquote max contracts for what their situation is at that particular moment, but not all maxes are the same. So the one that we're talking about here would be, I mean, and this is the one that Gavin said, you know, I would do this in a second because it's, you know, you're sort of taking advantage of the situation here. Um, and and obviously you just said you would do it too, Stacey. And I would too. It is if you can get Randall to sign a max extension this offseason, which Still has you opting him into his final year of his contract, which is going to pay him like $22, dollars next year, something like that. Then you sign him prematurely. Don't let you know. Don't even let him hit free agency. Of course, he has he has agency in this whole thing naturally, where he can say, "No, I'd rather wait till next year and try to get more money." Fine, that's cool, you know. And he would hit unrestricted free agency next summer. But if he's open to this sort of thing this summer, I mean. Jeremy Cohen wrote a really good article, very thorough, thorough article about this for the Strickland about this. I just pulled it yeah, up. We so got Kevin Herter working for us, by the way, guys. For the yes. <laughs> Jer- the Jeremy enemy, Cohen. The looks- enemy is a writer for the Strickland. <laughs> Jeremy Cohen, who looks like Kevin Herter, kind of. I also need to throw <laughs> Not out, really. I, I tweeted this out earlier in the year, but there's like, I don't know if it's an intern or like Tibbs's like bench assistant or something. There's someone on the Knicks bench who looks almost exactly like Jeremy, like way more than Jeremy, like like Kevin Herter. And I'm starting to think it's him. And no, nobody's saying anything about it, but I think it's, I it's, one of Tibbs's, it's one of Tibbs's like forever assistants. Uh, it might be Andy Greer, I want to say. I'm not 100% certain. Um, like, he looks like way too young. He looks like Jer- maybe I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm, no, I'm, it's it's one of Tibbs's assistants that he's had for a long time. I know that much. Yeah. Uh, if it, uh, you know what, we'll do this live on air. I'm gonna look just see Andy. We'll do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> no, it is not. It is I, not I was, Alex, but how would you react if you Googled it and it just said Jeremy Cohen, Nick's assistant coach? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Cohen. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, so it's not Andy Greer. It's one of the other assistants, though. But it, it is it is the assistant coach for the Knicks. I just can't think of his name at the moment. But yeah, there, there's a lot of Jeremy doppelgangers out there. Um, I'd be willing to bet that the assistant for the Knicks is quite a bit taller, though. 
because uh, he he's almost looking eye to eye with some of the players uh, when they're when they're talking. Uh, but at any rate, this so the the contract, the max extension that the Knicks could sign Randall to would start at twenty six million dollars, just a hair over it, and that doesn't that doesn't even overwrite his final option year of his contract. They would pick up the option year and then tack on this new contract to you know the four years after next year. So starting in 2022-23, he would make 26 million, 28 million, 30 million, 32 million, give or take a couple hundred thousand, you know, chump change for basketball players, life-changing money for everybody else. Um but that and it would come out to about 116 and a half million dollars. That is like over four years. That is a huge steal for a player that is as good as Julius Randle was this year. And even if he regresses some next year, and let's say he becomes a 38% three-point shooter on good volume instead of a 42% three-point shooter, uh, because of you know buildings being more full and whatever, if you subscribe to the Julius Randle sucks because there's fans now theory. I mean, that's still, that is a phenomenally good value on a contract. I don't care that he shot 30% or whatever uh, in this first round playoff series and the Knicks lost it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Al Al Horford is making that, right? Yeah, exactly. Take them one pick to dump him, which would be a worst case scenario for Randall. Yeah, and in all likelihood, likelihood, if you ever needed to trade him, you could trade him for even money, you know, like for for even assets, get something back for him, or, you know, at least just like trade him into someone's cap, like basically for free or something, because he's a very desirable player with a very desirable skill set. So there's like no way in hell I would not do that deal. If you let him hit free agency, or if he chooses to, obviously, if you can't strong arm him because of this so-so playoffs into accepting that contract, you're potentially going to have to pay him like a lot more per year, uh, starting with a uh, like 34 million, I think, would yeah, be and, the and, amount and I mean, there. And I think the argument then would be, well, we have his bird rights, so we can still assign, fingers crossed, Steph, but like, you know, someone like Levine or whoever, right? Yeah, He'll... because he wouldn't have a max cap hold. Presumably, yeah, but then you're still in luxury tax hell, and then it's not a tradable contract. I mean, if we end up pairing Levine and Randall, and I can see ways that doesn't work, then you're kind of stuck, right? Unless quickly or RJ takes a massive leap. This just gives you a whole lot more flexibility. Yeah, and and there's like there's other worlds too where you could potentially talk Randall into a into a two year max extension which would then let him hit the free agent market in 2024 and let him pursue a, a 10 year uh, max contract at that point. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Cause he would be, he'd be officially at his 10 year threshold, which gives you a lot more, uh, a lot more negotiating power as far as how much money you can make. So there's, there's all these different avenues The long and the short of it is that the Knicks can get Julius Randall to agree to a max extension this off season. They should do it. It's it's a no brainer. They need to do it, and There's I mean no that would question. make him the thirty eighth highest player in the league, I believe. Yeah, I he's, saw he's I, I saw someone say earlier fortieth best on Twitter, but regardless, if it's between thirtieth and fortieth highest paid player in the league, I mean that's a steal. Yeah, and most teams would do that. And I guess the other question I would have as a follow up: if he does turn it down, do you look at, and you know he he performs? Let's say he's the same player next year, right? Guy who's heavily, if I'm bringing up the negatives, heavily relying on mid-range, you know, um, with another big, can't really get to the rim and really explode and finish the same way a guy like LeBron can. Do you look to trade him at that point? Uh, My answer would probably be no. But I, I think that particularly with this front office, with the connections that they have, I think if there is a star that is going to be willing to come to the Knicks... They're going to have intel on that pretty well ahead of time. You know, I would like to think that by next trade deadline, if there is, let's say the moonshot happens and Steph Curry is, is getting ready to come to the Knicks in summer 2022, I would think the Leon Rose and World Wide West. And but that's, that's a bit of a, a catch 22. Wow, that one actually worked out. But that's yeah. a bit of a catch 22 because would Steph want to come if Randall, you know, the, the trade for Randall would likely be a young prospect and a couple of you know, something like Anthony Simons. Maybe I'm just throwing this out there and like mm-hmm. two to three first round picks, maybe, you know, 
maybe three on or two unprotected and like two protected or something like that. Um, the catch 22 there is, well, then would Steph want to come because it's kind of the same thing where you have a team with picks, but you know, probably still at that point in maybe I, I imagine RJ is going to improve, but not a quite, this is a guy I can guarantee is the number two on a team. Would that, you know, that that's kind of the, the difficulty there, right? Well, and that's what I'm saying is like, I would think this front office would know already by the trade deadline, like, yeah, Steph Curry is coming this summer. So if, if Steph Curry is coming, you don't you you don't you bite do the it. bullet. You give Randall the max he needs. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean because I think it's I think the question team... is Steph is Steph and Randall and then you know up and coming RJ Barrett enough to contend for and and I would say yes. I mean I think I think the answer there is yes. If you also retain Mitchell Robinson to hold down the middle, if you keep drafting smart, you have Emmanuel quickly off the bench then. You have maybe you know, starting, you, but yeah, yeah, or or starting. You know, maybe he's starting at that point. Maybe it's a that actually be pretty nasty to have Steph and quickly both just shooting from the logo every time. Um, but you know, maybe you've got him starting with with Steph and and RJ and you know, and then you have uh, Randall and and Mitch. I mean, that's that's a lineup that I think could reasonably, with another year of development for RJ going into. Uh, the final year of his rookie deal and, you know, with Mitch locked up and, and everything else. I mean, I, I think that that's potentially an Eastern conference finals team, uh, maybe even a finals team. I mean, I think we saw with Steph this year that he is that good of a player. I mean, if he draws the amount of gravity that he draws and, you know, he's shown a better capacity to handle that than probably any player in the league, as far as, you know, being able to pass out in just the right situations or, um, shoot his way out of it against all odds. I mean, yeah, that that's a team that I, I think you could feel confident saying, yeah, I'm all right shelling out all this money because I think it's going to amount, you know, to something, particularly with having a couple extra draft picks in your back pocket to kind of bolster the roster, grease the wheels on some small trades here and there to bring in good role players and that sort of thing. And I guess bringing it back to the series and what we may have learned from the series, right? Um defensively we know what we're missing with Mitch. How much do you think Mitch being a lob threat, right? Because we know that Randall has not gotten to the rim with the same uh, proficiency that he did earlier in his career. Do you think that we would need to, if we are building this team around Julius Randall and even a star guard, do you think Mitchell Robinson is, I mean, he's not ideal, but is that still as threatening just with him being a lob threat? Or do you think you need a big that can stretch the floor? Maybe that's something you add off the bench, you know, like a Brooke Lopez type. I'm not saying him specifically, but that kind of a person that can play with Randall in spurts. Um, but how much does the big situation and maybe Randall not being ideally placed next to a rimbound big um, play into that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's – do you guys think Obi has the potential to be that guy? Because I know – I remember I brought it up with different people early in the season and the consensus was his center of gravity is just too high and, I mean, he would he would just get bullied in the post. But there are only so many centers in the NBA who will take advantage of that. And what we've seen from Obi, which is really encouraging, is, I mean, uh, he, he had one of his uh, classic, uh, to use a Clyde phrase, UFOs from the corner the other night, but in general <laughs> has turned himself into a much more confident three-point shooter. And he and and the exciting thing about Obi is obviously he still gives you that Mitch rim-running element. We unfortunately haven't gotten to see a ton of it this year, though in game four he had a, he had a really nice roll to the basket, finished with a pretty athletic layup. And, and to me... That would ultimately it, it would require Obi getting a lot stronger, and um, maybe it's it might it might just be unrealistic defensively. I could I could be way off on this, but maybe I'm just a little buying a little bit too much what he's done on the ball um, in terms of stopping bench forwards and and usually the least threatening guy on other teams. But I he at least has the awareness and intelligence I think to sort of operate as a backup five. And if you have him in that spot, I think you would blow teams out out of the water offensively with him at the five. And if he could just sort of survive on defense, that could be your option. And the thing is, whether it's 
Steph Curry at point guard, or even if it's just like the idealized well, version Levine would be. Well, like, yes. I think the the compromise would be something like Levine. Levine. Like, well, I was going to say maybe even it's like like the ultimate compromise is just like whatever the best version of Emmanuel quickly is. I would love to have a center rotation of Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin because I, I just think you're torturing defenses running pick and rolls with with quickly and one of those two like sprinting hard to the basket. I mean, not only because like they're both incredible threats around the rim, but they're also both so fast for their size. And Obi yeah. gives you the passing, right? Where yeah, yeah, yeah. The on, on the on, on the rim runs, he yeah, he gives you. I mean, the Draymond Green element. If you're playing four on three, he he can pick you apart off of that. And, and when we had PD on um, again, like uh, like a month ago, he was saying with Mitch, that's really the next big step for him in his game: the short roll passing. Like, can he can he add that? And look, this was we, we've talked about Mitch's developmental journey a number of times on this podcast and it's incredibly like belated and stunted in a lot of ways. Like he, he's very similar to Obi in that he was late to serious basketball, got screwed over by not getting to play in college and then got doubly screwed over by going to what was in the Knicks far and away the worst developmental organization in the league. So excuse me if I still have a little bit of faith that he's going to figure out that passing and that's a part of his game. And even if he, and, and it might even be something that he worked on last off season and we just really, he, he didn't get chances to show it because his role was so hyper specific this year to the point of it being painful. And I think just playing with a point guard that isn't Alfred Payton is going to work wonders for him. Not that, but not that kind of yeah. so on, on that point as well. Right. I guess specific to this series and like, I'll, I'll definitely expand on what you're talking about there, but like, I also want to bring back to the series, right? How much of the Knicks' inability, because I've seen Randall look down low for Noel, and not just Randall, RJ and others, and they get him the ball and he just can't do anything. And Capella just recovers and swallows him. That won't happen to Mitch. But how much does that matter? Where it's, and Todd has been better at that, but still, you know, vertically challenged and all of that. So, how much do you think, specifically in this series, and it probably bodes well, this is the first series we've seen the Knicks play in the playoffs. How much of a difference does that make where even if Mitch can't get out of the paint and shoot, uh, just him being that much of a lob threat, how big of a difference is that? I, I've, I've been pre- I said it earlier in the episode. I've, I've been preaching it like since game one, basically. I think it makes all the difference in the world. It, it just, I mean, so many people, um, I mean, focus on like perimeter gravity. Obviously, vertical spacing and vertical gravity is, is a real thing. And if you didn't have, if Capella didn't have that ability to shade over, I, I just think Randall is having a completely different series. And that, that's sort of what I meant when I said that this series reflects more on the supporting cast. I, I just think he, he's way, way, way more efficient going to the rim if Capella has to stay with Mitch at all times. And even someone like RJ Barrett is a lot um, more effective in that. I, I thought one of his best skills this year that really no one else on the Knicks brought to the table was his interior passing and his ability to get into the lane and then creatively like throw like little hook passes and drop offs to and lobs. He, yeah, was, and he lobs. was one of the guys that looked for lobs. Well, it was him and Mitch remember connecting on the first play of every game on the pick and run. Then of course the Knicks, I mean, maybe it was just adjustments from other teams, but they would never go back to it, but you're, you're right. And I mean, that's one of my big complaints with the Knicks for last year, Mitch's rookie year was the inability of the guards to get in the ball. And I long argued, like, obviously James Harden is the ultimately overqualified example, but I was like, Mitch is a rookie. I thought by the second half of his rookie year would have averaged 20 points per game on the Rockets just running to the rim. And part of that's a gravity thing. But I also just think it's an it's a complete unwillingness to throw passes. And even with an injured Nerlens, the Knicks have missed so many opportunities to hit him backdoor. And Obi constantly, you see, if you watch him every game, he's in for 10 minutes. Three or four times, he's putting up his hand. He's like, I'm open. I'm open. Just throw it high. I'm going to get it done. And, and, and Nick's guards just don't see it. You hope for someone like IQ. That's something that could improve down the road. I, I just don't think D-Rose is, is really wired that way to throw those passes, at least at least with a lot of consistency. Um, and, and that's where, to your point, someone like a Conley could make a really big difference. Someone like a Steph could make the ultimate difference. Because Steph is an expert at that play. And with his gravity, it's always going to be open. I'm, I'm going on a rant now, so I'll stop. But my point is, I, I just think Mitchell Robinson, in and of himself, would have made a massive difference in this series. But you pair him with far improved point guard play, and you're unlocking a whole different player. And you want to talk about the Knicks potentially being contenders with someone like Steph? It's because of the cascading effect that he has on everyone else on the floor, just as much as it is um, his his scoring in and of itself. Yeah, uh, let's argue with that. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I think um, I think I'd still like to add a, a stretch five or another an like undersized but athletic five. Um, in terms of Obi, um, and the, the one the thing I'll say with Obi is for all his weaknesses on defense, the one thing I actually think like if you ask him to stand under the rim and block shots, he has shown the ability to do that. He can get up, right? Um, what he can't do really is play drop coverage. But I, I, I to credit Tibbs, you know, we're in an episode where we scrutinize him a little bit. I will say he's been good at that. Um, you know, he Obi can kind of hedge a little bit too. The problem is with a guy like Gallinari, then he can't recover as well. But um, I think that can work. I think that is something I Obi and Randall combinations are something I definitely want to see. Uh, and for that matter, I would have liked to see them try Frank at the four or RJ at the four. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think if you believe in that, that, you know, just vertical gravity is enough where you can still have Randall be an effective paint option. Um, unlike this series, because I think that's, that's the one thing where you can talk about Randall missing shots, but you know, if he can't get to the rim and there are going to be, if it's not Capella, the next series, it would have been Joel Embiid, right? Um, the series after that, it would have been you know, maybe Nick Claxton or, DeAndre Jordan, but teams are going to do what they can to keep RJ or keep Randall away from the rim. And for that matter, RJ too. So if you feel like, I guess that's the big question, right? How much does vertical gravity change that? Um, I think we've seen and to your point that it does a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot to be comfortable. That, that's a bet I would take going forward and, you know, bring it full circle. It's certainly a bet worth paying a guy who's giving you 24, 10 and six, uh, $25 million a year at age 26 for the next four years. I mean, most teams are not in a position to do that, right? That's a luxury to have, uh, unless you guys, unless you think he's seriously flawed. And I think the only thing people have to say is seriously flawed is that he's averaged under 30% on four games. Um, but you know, that is not to me the most compelling argument against 72 games body of work so yeah and he's averaged 30 percent from the field in four games against a team that was geared entirely to stop him when everybody on his team not named derrick rose has basically forgotten how and, to play and look he's not averaging us like he could be he could be at his six assists if guys are making shots you know yeah exactly that's what i'm saying like you know i i i fully agree he's made those passes he hasn't yeah. made I, I, I don't have this stat, but I'm willing to bet if you look at the reads he's made, the quality of those, this, this series, and this regular, like the regular season, he wasn't great at making every read, but just the margin of error was more forgiving. But he's generated quite a few open looks this series. And, you know, people aren't, I, I mean, I, I was talking with, um, I think Tom Piccolo posted this. We were down four at halftime in game four. And then they generated two looks i don't remember if it was directly in a randall pass but it was based on his gravity and open look to reggie and i think an open look to rj and both bricked and then trey hit two step backs right and all of a sudden it's a nine point game um you know the margins for error are smaller but you can't really say that's a systemic issue with randall right yeah i i don't think so either i you know i think it's i think it's just come down to shot making um, you know, and some of that falls on Randall too, but he's been getting the same looks that he was getting during the regular season, particularly in the last game. I mean, he just, he couldn't hit at the beginning of the game, but I was very satisfied with the looks he was getting because I was like, these are the shots he's been cash on the entire year. And he just went cold. He went cold at the wrong time. It's unfortunate. Um, I, I do think that for whatever reason, Randall doesn't do great off of longer periods of rest. So having six days, prior to the first game and then, you know, two to three days between each game since, I don't know, has necessarily been uh, beneficial for him, but at any rate, we're, we're starting to go a little long. I think we've got a tidy two part episode here, but yeah, if you want to throw in a final points on that, I'll just bring this up that um, speaking of people in those positions, having rough games, uh, it is two, two in Phoenix. Do you guys know the score of that game right now? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm aware. Um, I, 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 I've, I've been keeping close track. So the Lakers are down by 22 points to Phoenix. And in the second quarter, they've been outscored 16 to 2. 
So for those looking to take heart, it's not just us that this happens to. <laughs> it happens to LeBron James too. Stacy, when when the, when the Lakers come back and win this game tomorrow, I'm going to blame you for bringing this up on the podcast. But I, I do. It, it does feel good to hear the score. They have two a, points. A live jinx. <laughs> they have two points with halfway through the second quarter. Uh, I'm already, um, I'm just clenching for the next two hours. But yeah, looks looks good. Anyways, on that happy note, Stacy Patton. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for joining us, Stacy, for this this long. Uh, I think I think when you guys hear it, it'll be a two part episode, but very informative one. Um, Stacy, before we send you out, uh, maybe Alex knows the answer to this, and and I know you know the answer to this, but but what, what what's cooking for you on the Strickland? What do, what do we have to look forward to? Yeah, so I have a episode. I have an article in mind which I alluded to. I'll expand on this Fox Hedgehog thing a little bit more. Uh, in terms of just evaluating Tibbs' decisions and a strategy for the season and what worked and maybe some of the costs we had to pay and why I'm still optimistic. Um, and also, um, second thing, we're going to have a lot of draft content coming up. We'll be releasing a big board soon. Uh, follow Presidente. Um, if you don't already, I imagine if you're listening to this, you probably do. Um, but one of the certainly one of the people I've learned the most from in terms of uh, draft evaluation um, on all of Twitter. And then the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I'm still hopeful. So those first two points definitely seemed like a, well, let's look at the season and review, but it's not over yet. And, um, yeah, let's, let's get hype for, for tomorrow. All right. Well, that has been this episode of locked on Knicks. Thanks so much, Stacy, for coming on again. And, uh, I'm sure that we'll be talking to you at some point during the the pre-draft process as well for some of your great draft takes on some of the guys coming there, uh, as well as maybe just some other some other big picture uh, things. We, we scratched the surface of a bunch of things that will probably come up during the offseason during this episode. So really great time. Thanks so much for coming on again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was always fun to uh, talk with Alex and Gavin. 